Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here today. We're ready to study the Bible for the next 30 minutes, and uh, we hope you are, and we hope we get to your question if you've given us one in the last few weeks. And that's the way this program works, as we take viewers' questions try to find answers to that question in the Bible. And it doesn't have to be just a Bible question. A lot of people ask specific Bible questions, what this verse means, uh, what this doctrine is about, or whatever. And a lot of people just ask life questions. What's the Bible say about this uh, that's happening in my life or in the news or in my family? And we'll try to find you a biblical principle on about anything you want to know about. So that's what we do here. And uh, Toby Levering is here to help me. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're ready to, to answer as many as we can today. But we always let you have one first. So here's the trivia question for the day. Uh, who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Who wrote those five books? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. See if you know about that one. Uh, looks like I drew the first one today. So let's see if we can handle this one. How is a friend of the world an enemy of God? Well, we've got to understand two things on this. And the first is the way the Bible talks about things. Uh, it's binary. <laughs> it's black and white. Uh, the Bible talks about darkness and light about the narrow way and the broad way, about good and evil, about spirit and flesh, about godly and ungodly. So all through the Bible, these are the two pictures. Now, to understand what that means is uh, the world doesn't mean this planet. Uh, it doesn't mean the world of people. It doesn't mean we're supposed to withdraw from the world and not have anything to do with people or anything. Uh, when it says the world, it's talking about the world system. Uh, Satan is the prince of this world, and he has a different system than God has. Now, you can call that flesh versus spirit or evil versus good or whatever, but where this viewer is talking about, the Bible often talks about uh, you're either a friend of God or you're a friend of the world. Uh, so the world system, which teaches pretty much the opposite of what God teaches, uh, is what it's talking about there. Uh, in John, it, uh, First John talks about uh, all that's in the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what the world says is good. Uh, if it feels good, do it. If it looks like you want it, do whatever it takes to get it. Uh, elevate yourself. Ego is good. The pride of life. Uh, those are worldly conceptions. Uh, God taught and Jesus taught kind of the opposite of that. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you'll be last. Well, that's not a worldly concept. Uh, that's a heavenly concept. So that's what it's talking about. Now, the verse that you may have 
found and wondered about is James chapter 4, verse 4 is one place it's said. So let's look at that. Uh, James said, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or uh, animosity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Okay. Having explained what I did about the world system, that's what James is saying. If you choose to live by the world system, if you try to accumulate as many things as you can and be as rich and powerful as you can and don't care about people or eternity or anything else, well, you're choosing to be friends with the world. And that's opposite of what God wants. So you're an enemy of God. So choosing what system you're going to follow is what James and other places are talking about there. Hope that helps you. All right. Uh, uh, the next two questions that I have deal with how God is, works and some questions about that. So I separated them up. One was, the first one is, man was not created equally as far as intelligence goes. Uh, what does God think about those with less that can't understand the Bible as well? Okay, well, um, I think that obviously God creates uh, human beings with uh, all sorts of different characteristics and abilities. And one of those is intelligence. And there's people that are uh, almost immeasurable in terms of how smart they are. And then there are some people that are very, very uh, basic. Uh, they, they just get along at a, a just survival level. They're not uh, very intelligent as we could quantify that. Um, but in God's eyes, that doesn't make them any less valuable. And that's hard for human beings to understand. We value people who are intelligent and successful and all of that. And the question is, what does God think about that? Well, you know, that's a, that's a hard question for any one person to answer, uh, is what does God think about that? I believe uh, there is nothing that God does that's unintentional or accidental or without purpose. The psalm says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, I've heard one time it uh, expressed in this way, to imagine the God that created the mountains and the forests and the, the beautiful sunsets and sunrises looked at such a world and at some point in time decided that it needed someone like you. Well, that's, I mean, that's not a biblical sentiment, but... The psalmist speaking that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, that his eyes looked upon us as we were formed within the womb, within the depths, uh, within the secret place, uh, is important. We understand that if God is the creator and we're the created and that nothing God creates is without purpose uh, or without uh, a design behind it, uh, just because someone has less intelligence or any number of, of factors uh, that we, we might view as less than uh, doesn't mean that they're less than to God. They're just different. Um, as far as understanding the Bible, I'm encouraged that the Bible is a, a, it's a very honest book, and I believe the plan of salvation is a very simple plan. Uh, we on this program answer the question, regarding about how one comes to, to Christ, how one can be saved, uh, all of that is very simple. It's human beings that tend to make things more complicated. In fact, uh, Jesus once admonished his disciples uh, that the kingdom of God 
to enter it, you must be like a little child, uh, to have faith like a little child, to be humble like a child. Uh, when we take on that uh, attitude, I think it's easier for us to understand that salvation and living as a Christian and living as, as a disciple are, are really simple things. They're not always easy, but they're simple to understand. Most of the things in the Bible, I think, are uh, simple enough that most anyone can understand them. Let's read Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, uh, where Jesus was talking to God. He says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. God has made salvation and the kingdom uh, very simple and overcomplicated. All right, a very good answer. Viewers uh, obviously think they found a contradiction in the Bible. as the way I understand this question about the necessity of baptism. I'll explain Acts 2.21 and Acts 2.38. Uh, before I look at those verses with you, uh, let me go back to something Toby said a week or two ago about understanding the Bible. If you find two verses that seem to contradict each other or seem to be opposed to each other, uh, I can tell you one thing about those two verses. Uh, they are both absolutely true. Uh, if they're in the Bible, they're true. Now, some verses, like where Satan said something, uh, it's not God's truth, but it actually happened. But in general, if you're reading through the New Testament and find a verse about baptism and one that doesn't mention baptism and you think, oh, this one cancels that one out. No, they're both true. Uh, our job is to figure out what the meaning then is. Uh, understand to reconcile something that looks a little different to us. So we're going to look at those two verses that our viewer proposed, and then we'll look at one more that I think will explain it. Here's the two that the verse uh, viewer mentioned, Acts 2.21. Uh, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then they say, well, Acts 2.38 says something different. Peter said to them, uh, when they asked, what shall we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, which is true? Well, I already told you, both are exactly true. Acts 2.21 is a very general statement. What do you have to do to be saved? You've got to call on the Lord. You've got to believe in the Lord. Uh, when Peter was asked what they were supposed to do, those people believed. Uh, they'd just been told that Jesus was both Lord and Messiah. So they believed that, and they said, well, what do we do now? So Peter gave them specific instructions. Uh, you need to repent. You need to be baptized. Then your sins will be forgiven, and you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. So both of those things are true. One's a very general one. One's a very specific one. And you ask, well, how do you know that? Well, because there's other things in the Bible that help us understand it. Let's read that one more verse that I told you about. This one's in Acts 22 and verse 16. This is Saul who became the Apostle Paul. The preacher Ananias is talking to him. And after Paul had believed, after he had confessed, after he had done all sorts of things, been healed, prayed and fasted for three days, uh, the preacher said to him, Now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. 
How do you call on his name? Well, Ananias said right there, when you arise and be baptized, you're calling on his name. You're asking for his authority to wash away your sins. So those two verses are not at all contradictory. Uh, one's just very general. How do you be saved? You call on the name of the Lord. You get to trust his authority, uh, the power of Jesus' blood. That There's all sorts of ways to say it. Uh, you call on him for salvation. Specifically, what do you do? Peter answered that. So, uh, And every case of conversion in the book of Acts or in the New Testament uh, ends the same way. When they want to know what to do, they're told to be baptized. So the uh, Bible's very consistent. All we have to do is figure out what's general and what's specific, and we'll get it figured out. Take this moment about studying the Bible. Uh, we explain a lot of these things like, it's kind of simple sometimes, and it's not. We've studied the Bible for quite a while, and we've got lots of other resources that we look at and all that. And for a non-Bible student, somebody that's never cracked it open or maybe tried to read it once and can't figure it out, uh, understand that's a little intimidating to think of how much there is in the Bible. But the story of the Bible is pretty simple about God's love for us, and if you read the Bible that way, uh, you'll understand it just fine. But sitting down and reading the Bible might not be the easiest way uh, to go through it, and we know that some folks need some other helps, so we've got some helps that we think help you understand your Bible, and they'll come to you in the mail. They're Bible courses that uh, take you step by step through understanding the Bible. This first set of lessons here, there are eight in it, and it starts real basic. The Old Testament, the New Testament. What's the difference between those two things? And then here are four other courses that we have that will come to you. One's the life of Jesus. One's the story of Acts. Uh, great studies when you're done with all of these. Uh, and hopefully we'll have some more coming up pretty soon. But uh, when you're done with all those, you'll know a whole lot more about the Bible than you did when you started. So if you want to understand the Bible, get familiar with it a little bit and form a regular habit of Bible study, we hope. Give us a call or log on to the website. Tell us you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you. All right, Toby, you've got a tough one. Yeah, those why God questions <laughs> yeah. are always tricky and we want to tread cautiously. Uh, why would an all-knowing, all-powerful God create faulty humans? All right. Uh, the, the word I want to really focus on is the word faulty. Uh, as defined, it's uh, working badly or unreliably because of imperfections. Now, uh, we might agree that human beings have imperfections uh, that uh, and what I'll argue with is whether God created those imperfections or not. I think there's different kinds of imperfections, and I talked about this in my last answer. There's some that might say uh, that a, a little baby born with Down syndrome is faulty. And, uh, in fact, some would go so far as to say that life is not even valuable. Just, just kill it before it even begins. Uh, that's, uh, I would definitely take issue with that. Uh, so how we view faulty, I believe, is very different in our eyes than how it is in God's. Just because people are different does not mean they're less valuable. Now, another definition of that might be evil, sin. Uh, why is it that 
that people, so many of them, uh, at one point or another, do evil and do bad things. And in extreme cases with um, uh, very evil men that have murdered thousands and millions of people, uh, why would God create a person like Adolf Hitler? Well, uh, that wasn't his will. That was our will. This is kind of where we get into the discussion of free will. I don't believe God creates anyone as what we would call faulty. I believe everyone is created in God's image, certainly, and that they have a purpose and a, a specific design. may not be what we expect or what we would consider to be normal, but certainly not faulty. Now, once we enter into the world, all human beings have free will, the ability to choose whether they will live their life according to what God wants for them or whether they're going to go their own way. And Scripture is very clear on this as well. At some point, each of us have gone our own way. Uh, the Bible calls that iniquity. And whether you view it as, as evil or sinful or not, the point is at some point we've all, God's gone this way and we've gone this way. We've diverged from what He wanted. And was why would God do that? Well, <clears throat> God gave us free will, and free will comes with it a lot of potential great rewards. I don't think human beings could ever truly love and worship and adore God if they didn't have the choice whether or not to do so. Uh, true love, true adoration must be a choice. And so when God gave us that choice, he also, by default, gave us the ability to choose not to obey him, not to worship him, not to love him, not to do what's right. And sometimes, sadly, uh, we choose not to do what's right. We're the only creature that I am aware of that can ever truly love God and truly worship God uh, differently from even the angels because, well, we have the choice and the ability to choose to, to worship Him or not. Um, maybe a, another way to think about this is, why would anyone choose to have children? Uh, there are no perfect children. At some point, they will all make mistakes. At some point, they'll rebel from the will of their mom and dad. Uh, they will cause trouble and heartaches and grief and certainly be expensive. Why would anyone choose to have children? Well, because we understand that children create a, a legacy. They'll, in, in most cases, they will their lives will surpass ours. There'll be a legacy. We'll get to impact the world. We'll get to see them do good things and maybe even change the world. But <laughs> that choice is in their hands. Um, so, uh, I, I think God created us because He loves us and He wants to see us. Uh, do the very best that he has in mind for us. But free will always involves risk. And if we're going to have the ability to choose to follow him, we also have the ability to choose to uh, rebel and disobey him. Uh, let's read Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. The scriptures say, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So I don't believe God created us faulty. I believe most of the times we choose faulty. All right, and uh, luckily I've got a follow-up illustration of that. All right. The viewer wants to know about uh, why did God destroy the earth with a flood? 
Uh, and that story tells us what happened when man with free will, uh, when sin entered the world, then began to make bad choices. Uh, to do the things that Toby was talking about, choosing the wrong thing, choosing evil. Uh, and finally God destroyed the world with a flood. And our viewer says, why? Well, the short answer is things get so messed up that God decided to start over. Uh, I think there's some other reasons for it, but that's the short answer. And let me show you some verses that explain what the world was like uh, when God destroyed it. So let's look at a number of different verses here in Genesis 6. Here's some things that God said about it. Uh, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Verse 5. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 5. Uh, the earth was filled with violence. Verse 11. The earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Verse 12. So throughout Genesis 6, in preparation for the flood, God was explaining how wicked things were. That second one there. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, that's all people thought of was ways to do evil. Uh, and I know we think our world's in bad shape right now, uh, but it isn't quite that bad. There's, <laughs> there's still some <laughs> folks that have a good thought every once in a while. Uh, but the people in Noah's day, uh, they just thought of different ways to do evil all the time. So. God destroyed that world with a flood. He did save Noah and his family because they were righteous and trusted in him. Uh, but he just started over. Now, I think there's also, uh, in addition to just the facts of the case, I think there's also a great lesson in that story for us. And I'm sure there's been uh, hundreds and thousands of sermons preached about it. Uh, comparing our salvation to Noah's salvation because it's a clear picture. Uh, those few, in that case eight, who trusted God and obeyed him uh, did some things that sounded kind of crazy at the time. Uh, go build an ark, even though we don't think it had ever rained before. Uh, doesn't sound too reasonable, but God said to do it. Noah did it. He trusted God. And on the day that the rain came, uh, it was a clear separation. Those people were in the ark were saved. Those outside the ark were lost. Uh, so in those days, they didn't think the rain was ever coming. Uh, Noah said it was, and they didn't believe him. Well, it came. Uh, the New Testament tells us that there's a day coming uh, when Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back to take his church to heaven. Uh, church means called out. Those people called out from the world those that are separate from the world. Uh, he's coming back to get them and take them to heaven. And on that day, there's going to be people in the church. There's going to be people outside the church, uh, just like there were people in the ark and outside the ark. So I think there's a great picture there of uh, the dichotomy of whether we believe in God or not. And uh, so God did destroy the world because it was so evil, but we can learn a lot of things from that story. Take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. And today, let's talk about the home church of Know Your Bible, uh, the Northside Church of Christ, uh, Wichita, Kansas, where Toby and I both attend and work. A uh, great bunch of people there. Uh, they support this program and help keep us on the air, and we appreciate them doing that. But uh, 
you'd be warmly welcomed at Northside Church or any other Church of Christ in your area. If you're looking for a church home, drop in and visit one sometime. Uh, Northside has a lot of great programs. One is the uh, Celebrate Recovery program that uh, runs on Thursday nights at 6.30. So uh, if you're interested in that, come to Northside. Come see us anytime. We'd like to meet you. All right, Toby, what you got? Viewer asked the question, is it true that you don't have to obey the Sabbath like you used to, as in the Ten Commandments? And my answer to that is yes. And some may hear that and go, whoa, I thought we had to to keep all Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments, if you understand the context of the Bible, are found in the Old Law in Exodus chapter 20. That law was given specifically to the Israelites. That law was, the purpose of us was to show that we needed a Savior and that we could not keep it purposely. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. He kept every aspect of that law perfectly so that we wouldn't be required to. Under Jesus, we live under a new covenant where we live in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That fourth commandment, the Sabbath, is under the Old Testament. It's part of the Old Covenant, which was specifically given to the Israelites, and it's just part of the Old law. Christians, however, after Jesus was resurrected, began to change the worship from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week to celebrate the day when Jesus rose from the dead. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 on the screen. Uh, There it says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in regard of questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. So we do not have to keep the Sabbath day. It is not part of the covenant that we are under today in Christ. All righty. I think we got time for one more here. And the viewer wants to know where the verse is that says Mary remained a virgin after Jesus was born. Well, I can't help you with that because that's not in the Bible. Uh, I know it's a teaching by some people that Mary was a perpetual virgin and uh, remained so after Jesus' birth, but the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible indicates that she wasn't. Matthew chapter 13, uh, about verse 55, Jesus went back to his hometown, uh, began to teach with authority, and listen to what the people said. Verse 55, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and aren't all his sisters with us? Uh, Where did this man get all these things? Okay, so they remembered Jesus. They knew his family. Uh, Mary and Joseph obviously had had other children after Jesus. So uh, the verse that says she was a perpetual virgin virgin is not in the Bible. Uh, The Bible indicates she wasn't after Jesus was born. Let me take a moment and answer the trivia question for you and what was it today it was about uh, who wrote the first five books of the bible those five books are called the pentateuch and moses was the one who wrote them uh, most of it revealed to him by god at a later time and he wrote it down uh, some of it he had firsthand experience of but a lot of it he got straight from god and wrote it down for us so we know how the world began and how the Israel nation began. So Moses was the author of the first five. We're glad you've been with us today. We're going to come back next week and just keep right on answering questions, see if we can get some more uh, answered for you. But if you haven't called one in, it'd be a good day to do it or log on and give us one. Give us your email. We'll get you an answer much more quickly. So you might want to try that. 
Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.